Hello, everyone. Welcome back to our Courageous Leadership with Virginia Prodan. Our podcast is focused on you, training you to live a life of significance and success. And we are so delighted to for you to send us uh, your questions, concern, and uh, the ideas about who you would like to have on our podcast. You can hear our, our podcast on Wednesday and Saturday at 10 o'clock Central Time and watch it on uh, YouTube uh, video. We love uh, for today, and I ask you to take a place in your home that is quiet, take pen and pencil, take notes, because we have an amazing uh, podcast for you today. Our guest today is Jim Daly, president and CEO and Focus on the Family, and he will encourage you and inspire you in a way that you cannot imagine. So make a quiet place in in your room. Uh, Jim, thank you so very much for coming here to our podcast. I love you're not only the president of Focus on the Family, you are an author, a broadcaster. Your broadcast has been honored by as a program uh, of the year by the National Religious Broadcaster. You have an, an amazing influence over people all over the world. You have around 2,000 radio uh, stations across the United States and who knows around the world. So uh, welcome to our, our podcast. We are so honored to have you. I was honored to be on your podcast and I am so grateful you are here. Virginia, thank you so much. It was great to have you on the broadcast at Focus on the Family. People loved hearing your story, which is amazing. <laughs> so it's an honor to be with you. Oh, thank you so very much. I, uh, I I love for people to see he's talking about Saving My Assassin, and it's my memoir. And today we're going to talk with Jim about his memoir and how he influenced other people. So here is his memoir. It's absolutely amazing. I read it, and I hope you will read it because it will... Um, uh, encourage you that no matter what you think you have or you do not have, when you have Christ, he will um, make your life amazingly influential and uh, he will not waste any of your your pain or sufferings. That's good. So, Jim, tell us how you started. You, you know you are the president, but your life was not not easier at all. You know, it wasn't. And I think uh, the one thing that I had as a child was a bit of understanding that there had to be children that were worse off than me. I don't know how to explain that, but I always thought that although we were in poverty, my mother and father were very poor. I was growing up in Southern California. And, you know, even for a year and a half, two years, I went to school in Compton, California, which by far is probably one of the most impoverished areas Certainly at that time, I think it's improved a bit, but very impoverished. And uh, so that was my experience. I mean, we were a poor white family living in a mostly black neighborhood in Southern California. Yet at the same time, the Lord started working miracles. And, uh, you know, it took some crushing to understand God's truth and his value. And, 
thankfully all five of the children there, I'm the youngest of five, but all five of us over about a 30 year period of time, uh, came to faith in Christ. And that's, you know, that's the amazing story. God cares about you. I think that's the core message of what I experienced in my life. He cares about you and he wants to be part of your life. And if you let him, he will take you to, in places you never thought you would go. <laughs> that is so true, Jim. I, I love that you mentioned that because many times I tell people when I go and speak, you know, in the United States or around the world that I, I didn't know my parents. I was like a slave in, in that house. I, I didn't know the Lord because he was against the law in socialist communist Romania to know the Lord, but he knew me and he brought me to, to him. So no matter what you think that you have or you don't have, God loves you. You are so right about this. That's the bottom line. And I think, you know, my mom was a tremendous woman. She was, she had a great sense of humor. She was a waitress uh, all all of her life as as we spent time she'd work two or three jobs my mom and dad divorced when i was 5 and so we didn't have a lot but my mom worked incredibly hard to give us what she could and in that process the thing that i remember most is uh her ability to provide wisdom in the most difficult of circumstances and unfortunately my mom remarried when i was 8 and she died when i was 9 and that that was a big loss in my life because she was so much you can imagine virginia you have children uh, that linkage between children and their mother especially 0 to 10 0 to 15 it's pretty important and to lose her right at that moment was devastating for me. But even in those nine years, she did an incredible job, uh, even without a deep relationship with the Lord. I wouldn't say she was a committed Christian until the day before she died. She accepted Jesus. Our neighbors went over to the hospital and invited her into a relationship with Jesus. Ironically, some people find this hard to believe, but their last names were the Hopes, H-O-P-E, the hopes went over to my mom's bedside at Long Beach Memorial and said, Jan, you need to know the Lord. And she said, yes, I want to. But there was something in that. It's like my mom always believed in God. She just didn't have the structure or understand how to do it. And I praise God for those neighbors who went and suggested to my mom that she needed a personal relationship with Jesus. And it clicked for her. She got it. And she accepted Christ on her deathbed. And I think I don't know this for certain, but I think my mom kind of said, Lord, can you take care of my kids? We were 19 to nine years old, all five of us. I'm the youngest. And uh, I think the Lord just honored that commitment. I think he said, you've given me your heart. I will take care of your children. I'm a father to the fatherless. And he did. That is so true. And how important is as a Christian to go and visit someone, to go and share the gospel with people. If they are in good health or uh, in bad health in the hospital and how their actions uh, and, and desire to share the Lord change the, the future of your family. So true. And I think, you know what the, the hopes did that were, it was so powerful was they engaged us. They had us over to their home on Christmas and Easter. They'd take us to church. We didn't attend church as a family, but they made sure that every Christmas and every Easter, 
they'd have the dailies over and to church with them. And, uh, you know, again, they kind of, in a way, they earned the right to talk with my mom because of their deeds. They, you know, they acted on their faith. They engaged our family. They were present. And what a great reminder for the church, as you say, to engage people around you, the chaos of this world that's riddled with sin, and then to act in a Christ-like way around them. And don't be afraid to ask the question, would you like to know Jesus? <laughs> and I mean, I think nine out of 10 times they're going to say yes, because you present and represent something so good and they see it and they want that. They want that shalom. They want God's peace in their life and they see it in you. You just need to say, would you like it? <laughs> yeah, that is so true. And especially right now when in America we have so many kids fatherless and sometimes even not even mother takes care of them. It might be the grandma or something. How important it is for Christian to reach out to them, to take them to vacation Bible schools or Easter or Christmas or whatever events, um, you know, they might think that will be important. Yeah. You know, for me in school, sports were big. That was kind of what I loved. I love football and basketball and baseball. And I played all three sports, all four years in high school and football, particularly, I really gravitated toward. And I had a wonderful coach my freshman year, my sophomore year, who really helped shape me uh, spiritually. I mean, it was a public school, so he was probably on the edge, but he would talk to me about the Lord and he sponsored me to go to a fellowship of Christian athletes camp in Southern California, which was awesome. And that's where I gave my life to the Lord. So, you know, the influence of teachers, especially with children that don't have a dad or a mom present in their lives is critically important. And that, that really set me on the right path at 15. I didn't just instantly become a really good Christian. I was still living with my brother who, he and I were bachelors, you know, I'd say to him, this sounds a little funny, but you know, I'd go out on Friday night to go play football and I'd say to him, what time you want me to come home? And he'd say, you know, two, three in the morning will be fine. Okay. I remember thinking to myself, I'll try to stay out that late. That's the environment I was in, but God managed to continue to talk to me. And even in that mayhem of my late high school years, I'd made mistakes. I didn't do everything correctly, but the Lord kept like a loving father, kept nurturing me and guiding me in better decision-making and praise God. I mean, by the time I was uh, completing college, he really got a hold of my heart. And that's, I would say, when I fully committed my life to the Lord, but to the premise of key people coming into your life and perhaps you as a believer being that key person in that 15, 16, 17-year-old's life, man, I would pursue that and try to just notice the people in your church that need help. And as you said, so many children today, so many teens today are in a fatherless home. I think the number is somewhere around 24 million children don't have a dad in the home. That's a lot of work for the church to do. But you know, for us to be engaged, talk about a field white unto harvest, as the scripture says. Uh, those fields weren't ripening just in Jesus's day. He continues to ripen that harvest all the time around us. We just have to be able to notice that the fruit is ripe and we need to go out there and, and labor to pull it in. So, man, what a good reminder. 
That is, uh, that is so, you said two things that I want to outline. One is how important is the work of the church and whatever you might be to reach out to young people. And the second one is, uh, and I hope people that don't know the Lord notice that and take that to heart. God knows you before you will hear from him. I I remember in, in my book, and I said that many times, I remember in my book, in one of the chapters, uh, as I went to, to work, uh, by the time I was seven seven years old, early in the morning, and the town was, was quiet and everything, I remember seeing the town was quiet and the sun was up, warming me like a mother, uh, you know, that I never had, you know, embracing me. And I felt like someone is loving me. And you notice sometimes, you notice, even if you are not Christian, that there is something you know, in the air, in the the warmth of a of a sun, you know, or the song of a of a bird that tells you. But you also need to hear from people that you are loved and to feel that love for Christians. And the third thing that you said is this, and it's true. We as Christians supposed to look and be different than the world, that people will notice that there is something different about us and for them to want to ask us what is different. And when they find out that it's Christ to know, they, for them to want to know that Christ that is in us. And in, in saying that, what you're really saying is so, so critically important that when we lift him up, what does that mean? It's not physically lifting him up, obviously. It's lifting him up in the way we live our lives, what we express. And if we're expressing the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, goodness, gladness, mercy, long-suffering, those are the attributes of God's character. And actually, I think human beings find those things irresistible because that's what we want. We want to experience that peace and that joy and that love. It's wired into us to want that. And uh, boy, when Christians bring it, uh, even the world will respond. And I've seen that with even people who oppose us in the public square. I've developed some really good friendships, just being sincere and honest with people. I think the other thing there, Virginia, that's so critical, you know, the scripture says, do these good deeds so that they honor your father in heaven. Uh, The word of God's really important. You've got to pay attention pay attention to the nouns and the verbs, right? So when he says that, he doesn't say, you know, talk a lot about me so they will honor me. It says, do these good deeds. And so even though I'm in talk radio, uh, you know, Focus has a whole portfolio of things that we do to engage the culture, like foster adoption and saving the life of a baby, saving a marriage. And that's what brings me, you know, the right kind of pride in what I'm able to do and what the staff and the team here at Focus are able to do. We want to do these good deeds so others will see God lifted up in that. It's not to our glory, but we want to give our life to something bigger than us. And that's what you've done. Your story is so amazing. I'm so encouraged by you. I didn't face those kinds of things. I mean, I didn't have a communist regime around my neck and all the mayhem going on that you had, but, uh, you know what we share in, in difficulty and in sorrow. 
And that's a common place where God can meet us as a seven-year-old, as a 10-year-old, as a 60-year-old. There's something special about suffering that we in the West, I know you understand this because you lived it. We in the West have less understanding of it because we have so much. But suffering in a weird, odd way, it with the right attitude, brings us so much closer to God because we understand how we need to depend on Him. And uh, sometimes in the West, we're so spoiled, we think it's all within our control. Guess what? It's not. That is correct. What would you say to a seven years old or 10 or 16 years old that might be in a difficult situation, maybe feel alone, looking back at your life and say, look, I was in your situation and now God put me to be a CEO of a powerful, powerful Christian company that changes lives every single day. How would you encourage them? Yeah, probably a couple things. One, I don't want to be oversimplistic, but that covers a lot of territory, what you just said. So for the child that feels alone, maybe has lost a, a parent, uh, either by death or by divorce. So often after divorce, fathers particularly make a lot of promises that aren't kept, that they'll stay in touch, that they'll be involved, and children never hear from them again. It's terrible. And it leaves such a hole in a child's heart. So generally for that child who has that hole for whatever reason, first, I just pray that somebody will come along and be that special friend to you and that it will be healthy spiritually, intellectually, emotionally, and healthy physically. So there's no craziness with that. And I experienced that. And I so appreciated Coach Paul Morrow, who kind of took me under his wing, had me over to his house for taco night. And, you know, they were, they were engaging me. I was the only one there. They didn't ask a lot of other people over. Uh, they just wanted me to feel uh, that they noticed me. So I hope an adult in your life can do that. And hopefully somebody in church. The other thing is a little more practical that seemed to work for me. I had a hunger for school. I wanted to make sure that I had food. I mean, it's a weird thing to think about at 9, 10, 11 that you start going, okay, who's going to take care of me? I didn't have anybody. And my siblings weren't really in a place where they could take care of me. So I knew that that wasn't the answer. So I felt lonely when it came to my well-being. And I think that motivated me to do well in school, to be prepared, to be motivated to go on to college after I finished high school. I didn't have anybody prodding me. I just knew I had to get that done in order to provide for myself. And that's not a bad thing. And I think that motivation, if it's turned in a positive direction, gave me the discipline to be able to prepare and to do the, the things I needed to do for study and for getting ahead if that's the right term. But I think the Lord used that discipline in me to uh, pave the way for some of that success that I've been able to experience. It all comes from his hand. It's not me. I am the average IQ in every way. But I do think the Lord can use those experiences to honor him. And I think for us as the orphan child or the bewildered child, um, keep pressing forward and try to always do your best. And God will honor that in incredible ways. That's been my experience. 
that is has been my experience too and i always encourage people yes i was like a slave i had i was giving uh, something to do and no instructions and then uh, i knew that if i don't do it my body is going to suffer or i'm not going to receive food uh, for lunch or dinner or something but out of that god created in me an amazing work ethics even now i have maybe few minutes to worry about how I, am i going to do and the next thing is i have a a, a desire to find solutions I, I don't stay on victim. I I need that's that's part of how God transformed that horrible situation into something that paved the the way to my success too. So I I hope that I encourage people that to to follow that and see. Maybe right now it's difficult, but see and be encouraged that one day they will see how God will be able to transform those hardship into something beautiful in their lives. Oh good. Virginia, let me let me add this because it's so important. I was just at a conference on mental illness uh, last week. And there was a uh, psychiatrist there, a Christian, who was talking about some of the research that he's done. And he's he's an expert in catastrophic events, school shootings, hurricane, those kinds of things where human beings go through traumatic experiences. And he said that in his research, he found one element that helped human beings overcome those events in astonishing ways. And I was surprised. It was humility. And when he said that, I thought, wow, humility. He said, yes, if a human being possesses humility, they have an astounding capacity to get through difficulty, even catastrophic difficulty. And he went on to explain that humility gives you the introspection, looking inside, to know that your circumstances are probably nowhere, aren't as worse off as anyone else. And then externally, you have empathy for people who are suffering. And I thought, isn't it just like the Lord? Here, once again, science is proving the scripture where a psychiatrist is finding that when God says, be humble as I am humble, I mean, he's giving us the antidote to some of life's problems. If you want to be able to get through catastrophic situations, whatever that might be, be humble as I am humble. Isn't that amazing? To me, it just proves God's existence and his desire for us to live a life that honors him. Absolutely. It's like, to me, many times I said, God takes uh, our misery and transform into our ministry because we mm. walk that way and we can see. Sometimes you can see suffering even if people don't express it. Sometimes you can notice that because you have been there and God puts compassion in us to be uh, to have compassion to others. It's so true. Let me ask you this. Uh, the society has been changing in, in America. And you have, uh, you you notice and you see a lot of things like, I am amazed and encouraged by a young student in uh, North Dakota who shared the gospel with, uh, with others at school and the school suspended him for three days. What would you say to students? What would you say to teachers and administrators in those situations? 
Well, I appreciate the question, but certainly you, Virginia, coming from a uh, totalitarian regime, uh, understand this probably better than I do. But but what I do see spiritually is the fact that the Founding Fathers created an amazing constitution and declaration of independence that recognized at our core, we needed freedom of expression. And it's tied to such godly understanding. You know, even God himself says, choose. I'm not going to make you choose me. Choose yourself. And one path leads to life. The other path leads to destruction. And you know the impact of a totalitarian government that says, no, you have no choice. You have to believe this way, or you may, in some circumstances, have to give up your life. I mean, the fact that human beings could demand that of other human beings. And I think what we're seeing in the U.S. is this attitude of totalitarianism, that if you don't believe the things we believe, then we're going to punish you. Now, the great news is courts so far, courts seem to be willing to defend liberty right now because the Constitution's pretty clear. You have the right to think and do as you please. And on the do part, as long as it's legal, you can do things. You can assemble, you can say things, you can be at school and talk about God. And so often these administrators in schools and these lawyers and organizations like the ACLU that want to intimidate these school districts are the ones that are applying this illegal pressure, in my opinion. And I'm hoping that by flexing the muscle of expression and religious liberty, that these brave people, whether they're children or adults who are being fired from their job or whatever it may be, that working those cases up through the courts will establish once again a firm understanding of the freedom of expression as in the First Amendment. So that's our only hope. If the courts fold and start uh, deciding against the freedom of expression and freedom of religious expression, we're in trouble. But let's pray that the Lord helps them to see the wisdom in honoring the foundational documents of our country so that we can continue to express ourselves. And I would say be praying for this country that the Lord will open more hearts and minds to the reason we need the freedom to say what we think. And maybe, too, for we as the church to be willing for others to express themselves, even though we may disagree with them. But man, the Lord was super, super willing to talk and to meet with people that didn't believe in him. And the irony is, through a lot of questions, he was able to lead people to him when he was uh, given that opportunity. So true. And uh, this is a great opportunity for us to exercise our, our faith. And many times I am thinking and I experience that in my life. Sometimes it can be just a test. They, those administrators or the government or companies might want to see how far they can push to intimidate us. As long as we remember that a job or a school, or uh, whatever situation, even our our business is just a resource. God is the source. We will remain like David. We will open the windows and pray no matter what the government will say, and God will reward that. And not yeah. only that, <clears throat> but our story will encourage so many. Just think about, you know, the, the story of Daniel who encourages us. People 
read my memoir and, and tell me how they were encouraged and how their life has been changed. And I'm sure your, your readers say the same things about your memoir. So many times God puts on in a, in a situation because God wants him to be glorified and to see that, yes, it is possible to stand up on God's principles and to win on God's side. So, uh, Jenny, it's all so true. And I think what I so valued in interviewing you about your book uh, is really the strength. Not many people have the experience of a gun being put to their head and being told, you know, I'm here to kill you and having the presence of mind to say, well, before you do, can I share the gospel with you? That's a true test. And you passed it. And I am super impressed that you did. And it's such a good model for those of us who haven't had that situation yet, but we may get to that point. And are we willing to put it all on the line? I'm afraid not every person who calls themselves a Christian would be able to do that. I hope that over time, more and more of us would have the courage that you showed and, and the understanding what's underneath it. And when I interviewed you, you said that, that, you know, uh, I guess if I'm going to lay it on the line, I'm going to trust God that with whatever outcome occurs, that I have pleased him and I'm with him. And man, that's how we have to live our lives, that even if you take my life, I'm in a better place than you are, right? Yes, yes. That just takes a lot of maturity. And I think, uh, Virginia, in this country, at least in the West, I think what I am concerned about the most is that we're in a fork in the road with the church, some wanting to go to battle with the culture. And I think that's a mistake. And I think the other side is to simply represent Christ solidly, calmly, confidently and to challenge those who are coming at us to think about what they're doing and to hopefully be able to lead the blind spiritually into sight so that they can have an experience a relationship with Christ. If that's not our motive, and if we use something other than the fruit of the Spirit, like the fruit of the other guy, the fruit of the enemy, we're in trouble because yeah. I don't think God is honored when we're not using his character to lead people to him, which again is love, joy, peace, goodness. And as I said to a secularist one time, I was having lunch with him. It was actually David Horowitz. He's a secular Jew who fights from the right now. He was a man of the left, but now he fights, you know, judiciously from the right, especially on education. But we're at lunch and I said to him, you know, we know we're in an alley fight. And I said, but we are not fighting with switchblades. We're fighting with the fruit of the spirit. And I remember he pushed himself back from the table and he said, wow, those aren't very good weapons. <laughs> <laughs> and the irony to the Christian is we know they are exactly the weapons Christ uh, equips us with, but the world doesn't fight that way. That's the whole point. Yes. He yeah. fights with love and with redemption. The world fights with anger and with uh, a lust to kill you. Yes, you are so correct on that. And reminds me of Proverbs 21, 30. There is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. And David said, Lord, 
fight with those who fight against me. Psalm 91 tells us to remain under God's wings and do what God is asking uh, us to do. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory because Christ already won. We don't see the victory in front of us. We see the evil one screaming, doing great things. But God said, share my love in in uh, to them so they can be brought to to the cross you are so correct on that not not the we are not called to win an argument we are when, called to win much more to win the soul of the ones that are prisoners in the evil tent and what a joy is to see a person coming from the evil tent to Christ. It's nothing better than that. And, and I hope that by exercising every single day uh, faith, the American people will wake up and realize we never experienced that. We have to be um, patient with ourselves. God is patient with us and we will win this battle. Yeah, so true. And the bottom line is don't give up God's character in the struggle. If you do, you're out there on your own, and that's not a good place to be. <laughs> that is so true. That is, I, I love the conclusion that you had it. Thank you so very much, uh, Jim, for being here, for so much encouragement. And I hope to, uh, people take uh, in your encouragement. Uh, tell us and tell your audience, our audience, where they can find you. The easiest way is focusonthefamily.com or 1-800-A-FAMILY. And uh, we're here to help. That's our goal and mission is simply to help people have stronger marriages, be a better parent, pass on the faith to your kids, and and be there to help you in a time of crisis in those endeavors. Thank you. Thank you so very much. Thank you so very much, everyone, for turning again to our Courageous Leadership with Virginia Prodan. I hope you took notes. Everything that Jim Daly shared with, with you will uh, have uh, the podcast Wednesday and Saturday at 10 o'clock um, Central Time. We love for you to uh, send us your questions, your concerns, and we will be more than happy to answer everything uh, that you will give us. Our podcast is focused on you to teach you and train you to live a life of significance and success in Christ, to be victorious in this spiritual battle that we all are part of it and we can be victorious. Until next time, God bless you. And don't forget to uh, um, support our podcast and send us your questions. Thanks again, Jim, for your participation. God bless you. Thank you so much. Good to be with you. Thank you.